Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis on what will be the prophetic final state of Noah's son, Japheth, and what that means for the Jewish and Gentile believers. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. It's what we know that causes us to go to such lengths of persuasion to get lost Japheth saved. Isn't it interesting that the shepherd tells his friends and his neighbors when he comes home, and he says, rejoice with me, and then he says, I have found my sheep. So when we seek to win the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're really doing is seeking to find what the Lord Jesus Christ lost, and we're bringing back to him his own. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in the book of Genesis. Now, John 10, 16 also says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Then he says, Them also I must bring. Those words are so vital for us. Them also, them also. If we just keep that in our mind. Whenever I think of Bashiri, I think of them, him also, them also. In our compound in Ethiopia where we have 30 women who came to us as Muslims, but one by one they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every morning before work, their supervisor Abraham teaches them the Bible. So they've come to the Lord. Them also is the key there. Them also. Then he says, I must bring. You know, notice how he says that. I must bring. Them also I must bring. He didn't say, them also I want to bring. He didn't say, say, them also I need to bring. He said, them also I must bring. The desire is so strong here when he uses the word must for the Lord to bring them. He says, and must really expresses the priority of life. You know, a person's life can really, my life, your life, our lives, really can be summarized by just filling in the blank of I must blank. What is it? The question is not what's on our to-do list. The question is what is on our must-do list. You know, there's only four times, essentially, that the Lord Jesus Christ said he must do something. The first one was when he expressed just an overarching principle to do what he was sent here to do. That's the concept of the Messiah. The Messiah meaning sent one. He was sent here. So he said he expressed that must in Luke 2.49 when just a boy of 12. He said, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He also said really the same thing in John 9.4 when he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. But then the second time he expressed about must is in Luke 4.43 when he said unto them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also. Therefore am I sent. Same idea. So he must do the works. He must preach. And then the third time is really our part here, which is for the non-Jewish sheep when he says in John 10.16, which we've been studying, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring as a non-Jewish sheep. The Jewish sheep really can be summarized when his discussion about when he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who he called the son of Abraham, and he said, Zacchaeus in Luke 19.5, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in that ho- at thy house. And then the last uh, reference he made to must 
is uh, in Matthew 16, 21, where he says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. So that last must is to suffer, to be killed, and to be raised. And really, if you look at all of those, there's really one item on the Lord's must-do list, and it was to do what the Father sent him to do, which was to preach the gospel, to bring the lost, and to suffer, to be killed, and to rise again. Then he says, they shall hear my voice. Now, notice how he said, they shall hear my voice. There's a definiteness, again, to this statement. They shall hear my voice. That means that they'll recognize his voice. They'll say, oh, that's the voice. That's the voice I've been looking for. That's this, uh, it reminds me of the old picture. Do you, do you, any of you old enough to remember the RCA records and the emblem for the RCA records? The, the dog listening to the speaker, and it says underneath it, the voice of his master. That's nice. Anyway, maybe you don't like it. It doesn't matter. So, <laughs> so the question is, why will they hear his voice? Why are they going to hear his voice? Is they going to hear his voice because, because everybody's taking the evangelism explosion classes, you know? Or they're taking all these missionary techniques. Right? Why are they going to hear the voice? No, they're going to hear his voice because inside their heart of hearts, they are, un, uh, you can't even see it, sometimes you can, but most of the times you can't. They are asking for God with the spirit that they must have God. And he promised in Luke eleven nineteen, ask and it shall be given you. They will hear his voice because they're seeking for God. And they promise, seek and you shall find. They're knocking on God's door. And he said, knock and it shall be opened unto you. They're crying out to God. And he promised in Psalm twenty two twenty four. he said, he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. See? That's what, so the great big giant hole in the heart is just killing them, and they must find God. They're in the situation where they must find God. And so when God speaks through his word, and God speaks through the preaching, then they hear the voice. They hear the voice. They hear God behind the words. And that's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and their prayer is answered for God. And then it says in John ten sixteen. There shall be one fold. That is a, like an edict. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. This statement, there shall be one fold, that's the answer to denominationalism that separates believers. There shall be one fold. The statement, there shall be one fold, is the answer to all the books that have been written with the titles of why I am a Baptist, or why I am a Catholic, or why I am a Presbyterian, or why I am a Messianic. God's answers to all those books are, there shall be one fold. There shall be one fold, not many folds, not a Baptist fold, not a Catholic fold, not a Presbyterian fold, not a Messianic fold, but there shall be one fold. And since there shall be one fold, there should only be one book. And that book should be why I am a Christian. (laughs) That should be the book. So in Paul's day, he had a little bit, he didn't have so many denominations. He had two denominations to deal with. Paul, he had the denomination of the Gentile believers and he had the denomination of the Jewish believers and he addressed this issue in Ephesians 3.6 when he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same 
body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, what does God want Japheth to do? All right, so uh, there's the question. What does God want Japheth to do? Now, after Paul, if you like to turn to Acts 17, 26, and I'll just explain as you're turning. After Paul saw the vision that we talked about of the man from Macedonia asking him, sort of representing Japheth, to come over and help them, Paul went over, crossed the water, and he went over, and he went over to northern Greece and then came down. And he uh, finds himself now in, in Athens, and he's standing there in the middle of town on Mars Hill, and he makes this statement to all those Athenians there, and he sums up in this statement Japheth and what God wants Japheth to do. So it says there, Acts 17, 26, God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So, number one, God wants us and them to see Japheth and ourselves as all one blood. All one blood. He, God does not see different races of people. He sees only one race, the race of man. Because God has made all men one blood of all nations of men. Prejudice is a death nail of evangelism. You know, we have one common ancestor. His name is Adam. So, as a matter of fact, some have actually tried here in in Genesis 9, the passage that we're in, to say that because what Ham did to Noah, that Ham was cursed. And since the black people descend from Ham, they've said that all the black people are cursed. But God did not curse Ham. You look at it. Ham had four sons. He had the sons. Cush, Mitzrayim, Phut, and Canaan. And Noah only cursed one son of Ham. That was Canaan. And later, Joshua destroyed them when they entered the land. All right, now, number two, God wants Japheth to seek the Lord. Verse 27, they should seek the Lord. And that's our role, is to encourage them, to persuade them, and tell them who the Lord is. He's a good God. He's a protecting God. He's an inviting God. He's a caring God. He'll take good care of you forever. That's that's a persuasion. And number three, God wants Japheth to find the Lord, verse 27, and find him. That's what he wants. Now, that's Japheth's current state. That's how God sees him. That's how we should see Japheth. And that's what God wants for Japheth. But now we'll go to the next level and say, what is Japheth's final state? What is his final state? Now, what will be the final state of Japheth? Well, Genesis 9.27 has two prophecies. The first one is God shall enlarge Japheth, and it says in Genesis 9.27. And then it says, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Now the question on the table is, why is Japheth going to dwell in the tents of Shem? Right? Why doesn't Japheth dwell in his own tents? You know, what's, what's wrong with his own tents, you know? <laughs> what's there about Shem's tents that Japheth wants to dwell in Shem's tents? Sounds like conflict, doesn't it? You know, stay in your own tent, Japheth. No, no. Says he's going to, okay. Now, to see the answer to this, please turn to Zechariah 8, verse 20. And this answers the, the question of why Japheth is going to dwell in the tents of Shem. And why he wants to dwell in the tents of Shem. And this is how we are. Okay, Zechariah 8.20 gives us this answer, which touches on the future state of Japheth, and says this. Zechariah 8.20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass, 
that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Verse 22. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is the final state of Japheth. And it shall yet come to pass. It starts off that way. Our verses start off that way. It shall yet come to pass. Final state of Japheth. In these verses, we have a description of Japheth. He's called in verse 20, people. Actually, literally, it's not people. It's peoples. The King James has it, people, but it's peoples. Verse 20, it says he is the inhabitant of many cities. The inhabitants of many cities. Verse 22, he is many peoples. Again, it's, it's really plural. Many peoples. Verse 22, he is strong nations. Verse 23, he is, the, he is the people out of all languages of the nations. So again, the question on the table, why doesn't he just stay where he is? Why does he stay in his own tent? And why does he want to go live in Shem's tents? Well, what's, what's described here is a frenzy. There's a frenzy that's starting here. And it's like a whirlwind, a whirlwind of hope. It's like the California gold rush. You know, and it's described in verse 21. It says, the, this is this frenzy. You can feel it. So the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let's go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord. And somebody says, I'll go also. And so in verse 22, it says, many people and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23, it speaks about 10 men shall take hold of out of all nations, of the languages of nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that's the Jew. That word take hold is a very strong word. The Chazak, it's, it's used twice in this verse. Take hold, take hold, a very strong word. In Psalm 35, 2, that word is described how you hold a shield. You don't hold the shield lightly. It's not a good thing to drop your shield. So that's the word that's used there. That word was described, that word describes in 1 Kings 2.18 how Joab held on to the horn of the altar for his very life. That's the word. You know, how, how do you think of the word, Chazah, how do you think of the word take hold here? Think moray eel. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Latch and hold tightly. So what is all this about? Well, what is being described here is when the Jewish people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, they call on his name. They call him by his name. They don't just say God or Elohim. They call him by his name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's described, if you like to look at that, a couple chapters over in Zechariah 13, 9, where it says, Then shall they call on my name. See, it's a very special name. The Lord Jesus Christ is a very special name. That's the very special name that's referred to in Zechariah 13.9. When it's this great event happens, when the Jewish people says, they shall call on my name. And they shall say, what are they going to say when they call on his name? The Lord is our God. In other words, they're going to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are our God. That's what they're going to say. And the Lord responds back to them, and he says to the Jewish people, it is my people. It is my people. So this is such a big event, boy, I'll say, that news just spreads like wildfire all over the world to all of Japheth, 
All over the world, the frenzy starts because Japheth is sitting there all over in their place of the world. And they're saying, independent of all this, they're saying, we must have God. We must have the Lord Jesus Christ. We must seek the Lord Jesus Christ. We must pray before the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? That We've just heard that the Jewish people are the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just called them my people. The Lord Jesus Christ is with the Jewish people. They're all going to come to this conclusion. And so they say to themselves, we have to go find a Jew. And when we do, we're going to do the Moray-Eel routine on him. And we're going to go and we're going to latch on and we're going to say, we're going with you. We've heard that God is with you. So the Jew in verse 23 here, he doesn't know what hit him. (laughs) One minute he's walking along, he's minding his own business. The next minute he has ten men speaking all the languages of the nations, (laughs) latching onto his clothes and, and saying all at the same time in ten different languages, maybe more, that they're all saying, we'll go with you. We've heard that God's with you. So the Jewish person then, he tries to explain that he's really a novice at this as, as well. He's new to the faith, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ten men say, don't tell me that. <laughs> That's what they say. This isn't in the Bible. Anyway, <laughs> and the Jewish person, then he changes the story. And he says, well, yes, you know, actually, my people do have a long history with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he says, I'm an expert. You came to the right place. It's very funny. I think that's very funny. All right, so those men of Japheth, they don't just take hold of the clothing of that Jew. They do what I did to my friend Avi in Jerusalem when I wanted to spend a few days with Avi. So I called him up and I said, Avi, I'm coming to Jerusalem to visit you. And Avi said, Tom, that's wonderful. Where are you going to stay? And I said, at your house. I'm just waiting for you to invite me. (laughs) Which he did. (laughs) so that's kind of the routine here with these 10 men and I don't know if these men of Japheth waited even for the Jewish people to invite them to come into their homes they just moved in he shall dwell in the tents of Shem Genesis 9.27 they move into the houses of the Jewish people why? they can't get enough of the Lord Jesus Christ they know that the Jewish people have become because the Lord Jesus Christ has made them wells of water springing up And they're giving out the Lord Jesus Christ into everlasting life. This is what he told the woman at the well in John 4. Well, that's where we're going to end this morning. We'll continue next week in finding out more about what happened with man. Father, we thank you so much for what a great God you are. We thank you, Lord, for the term that describes you, and we love it, the God of all hope. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would give to us, Lord, the, the heart and the vision and the care that you have for lost Japheth. Dad, today you started out the study by quoting Matthew 16, 21, where the Lord began to show his disciples how he had to go to the cross. How are we like the disciples that need to be shown how important the cross is? You know, that's a very, very important verse in, in Matthew 16, 21, where it says that from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go, number one, he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer, number two, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, number three, be killed, and be raised, number four, be raised again the third day. So he must, one, go, he must, two, suffer, he must, three, be killed, he must, four, be raised. Why? Why? He's And this is the whole point of this verse. He must, it's this word must, he must. Why? 
because of Leviticus 17.11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So in other words, what we must understand and how important the cross is, is that there is no other way to make an atonement for the soul other than the blood. It's the blood, God said, that makes an atonement for the soul. And I gave it to you, just like he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. This was the great question that Isaac asked his father, Abraham, in Genesis 22, 7, that question has reverberated down through the centuries. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? See, that was Isaac's question. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? In other words, where is the blood that'll make an atonement? This was what was emphasized by, by Moses when he said in Exodus twelve thirteen, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. This is the time of the great Pesach, the great Passover, when he said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So in other words, God said, when I see the blood, no wonder Isaac asked, where is the lamb? Where is the blood of the lamb? Because it all goes back to Leviticus 17.11, where God said, it's the blood, it's only the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. That's why Paul said in Romans 5.9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him, justified by his blood. That goes back to Isaiah 53.11, where it says, by his knowledge, by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the knowledge of God, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. He alone is called the righteous servant. The Jewish people are not called the righteous servant. They're identified in this first chapter of Isaiah as a sinful nation laden with iniquity. That is not the description of a righteous servant. The righteous servant referred to in Isaiah 53 is only the righteous one who was the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb without blemish. And so Paul goes on and he says in Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. So God justifies us. We are the ungodly who he justifies. And how does he do it? Romans 5, 9, justified by his blood. Why by his blood? Because God said there's no other way to make an atonement for the soul, Leviticus 17, 11, than by the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. That's the answer to Isaac's question. Where is the lamb? The lamb, where is the lamb? Finally, John the Baptist comes in John 1.29 and answers Isaac's question. Where is the lamb? John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So finally, when all this is coming together, all these points are coming together, he says, and he's explaining to them that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer in Jerusalem. He must be killed in Jerusalem, and he must be raised from the dead. Why raised from the dead? Because that was God's stamp of approval on his death and his suffering for our sins. When God raised him from the dead, God the Father said, 
I approve, I accept, I am well pleased with the sacrifice of my son. He was well pleased with his son, and he said, hear ye him. Then, and those were spoken by words, but then after he did his work, the work on the cross to die for our sins, then no words this time, but an act, a resurrection, a raising from the dead, where God said, I am well pleased with this work. This work is dainu. This work is enough. This work satisfies all the demands which we can never uh, justify by our own works or by anything that we can do. Only in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came with those great words at the end in Matthew 26, 28, before his death, when he held up that cup of wine and he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Isaac asked the question, where is the lamb? John the Baptist says, behold the lamb. And he stands there and said, here it is finally, my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. Thank you for joining us today. Now, as Tom Cantor was teaching us about millennial worship, many nations will come with the Jewish people to worship. And today, the cross still needs to be brought to the Jewish people. Now, do you have a heart to reach the lost Jewish people in our nation and take the message of the cross to them? We've got an opportunity in the Southern California area, in San Diego and the Orange County area, to become a full-time working missionary for Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, you'll be a courier of the gospel to the Jewish people, going door-to-door, going to colleges, reaching lost Jewish people, building relationships with them, and discipling them, contact us today at 1-800-247-3051 if you're interested in this opportunity. 1-800-247-3051 at 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org to learn more. Friendshipwithgod.org.